That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. All right, Jake, it's the second Sunday after the aha moment, the epiphany, the realization that Jesus Christ is getting some great presents and is for the whole world. Amen. It's good news. I can tell that we're both on the by the um, cadence of our voice and uh, that uh, we are on the other side of Christmas. And uh, so you and I are clearly feeling a little bit more relaxed. You're there in a collar. I'm in a flannel. But yep. nonetheless, we are... Bringing... I never take it off, Jake. I never take it off. <laughs> you have those clergy pajamas. So, I have but... a neoprene clerical <laughs> outfit. It is waterproof. It's very warm. <laughs> Uh, clerical onesie made by right. uh, CM Almy. So, but uh, um, um, complete with a bedtime cope. So, yep. uh, but uh, anyway, They've got it in their quick ship uh, department. You can get one in three days. So, but um, that and a pair of cufflinks. That's all I wanted for Christmas. <laughs> Didn't get it. So, but um, our readings womp, womp. today are First Samuel chapter three verses one through ten and eleven through twenty. And then we got 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. And our gospel reading for the day is John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. And uh, before we uh, go any further, I think uh, as we begin to crack out another year, we should give a shout out to our producer, TJ, for all of his work. And so it does a great job. Yeah, that's right, TJ. Uh, those initials stand for Tom Jerry. His parents were huge cartoon fans. Yeah. No, I don't know. I'm completely making it up. <laughs> TJ, we love you. Thank you very much. Thanks for uh, making us sound better than we actually are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, let's lock into this. And I will say, uh, some of you will be tempted, as this is the Sunday before Inauguration Day. Uh, you know, we're recording right now, actually, in late December, so we haven't even hit January yet. Who knows? The country could still fall apart. There's still people who are upset about this. We don't know where you are, listener, on that. But assuming that everything goes the way it usually has, and we have a presidential inauguration coming up on the 20th, that's Wednesday of this week, uh, just know that that will be on some of your congregation's hearts and minds Mm. on 17th of January, the second Sunday after the Epiphany. And I would say, don't touch it. it, unless to say it's a reminder of the sovereignty of God and the Lordship of Jesus Christ, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, human beings are always terrible, and God is always good. You know, in my ministry, I've never found uh, inaugurations an exciting topic to preach on. Uh, some of you may, but uh, you know, I think the collect for the day says it's best. Says it best um, that. Uh, are that your people illumined by your word and sacraments may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that Christ may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Really, that is the content of uh, your sermon. That should be the content of your sermon this Sunday, whether you're preaching on the Old Testament, the epistle, or the gospel, and it will get you there, because the truth is, is that um, 
uh, while we may have a president, we um, ultimately serve a king. And so, and he is to be worshipped, known, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Yeah, and not to say that none of that stuff matters. That's not what we're saying. Jake and I have very strong opinions. and Very strong. Get, very strong. Jake is like... Jake is like when you first open the rubbing alcohol and take a deep whiff. It just, it's just you have to sit down. But, uh, but we uh, we sort of feel like the pulpit is not the place to uh, uh, to do that because uh, even when people think I'm vaguely, obliquely referencing something political, uh, you know, half the people are like yay, and half the people are getting defensive and angry and threatening to withhold their pledge. So Yeah, it was so funny uh, four years ago this time when Trump was first elected. Um, you know, we had had, you know, we pray for our president, Barack, you know, in the prayers of the people. But then um, for uh, the Advent season, we always switch the prayers of the people. And it's just more of a general. We pray for the president, you know, the governor. We don't mention them by name. And um, somebody came up to me and was like profoundly offended by that. And I was like, yo, 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 it is just, it's just the liturgy. You know what I mean? And yep. so not um, making a statement, not making a statement. And you don't, you don't, and indeed Aaron is right. I mean, my politics, just ask my wife. As too. always. I can just, uh, I can come across, I've got some real strong views on some things. And um, I Jake guarantee is you deeply anti-Smurf, if any of you were wondering, yeah. just all <laughs> tiny so, blue people. But really, um, you know, your job as a minister is to um, get all of the people into the promised land, not just Democrats, not just Republicans, but all people into the promised land. And you do that through uh, those means by which God is and God's people is illumined. And that's the word and sacrament. And uh, in there, there's no, you know, well, you know what I mean. So, hey, quick question, Jake. Yeah. Will at Calvary St. George's be praying for our President Joe or our President Joseph? Ah, that's good. I think we do Joseph. So, keep See, it we've been doing President Donald and President-elect Joe. Because, mm. you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's the big question that would be for you for congregational leaders. That would be grounds for me to leave. <laughs> uh, so I'm out of St. Albans, Waco. So, but, um, transferring my membership. <laughs> so, but... Yeah. Uh, we come to 1 Samuel, and this is a very, very uh, thick reading. It is filled with lots of things and themes to preach on, and um, and uh, but it is a powerful, powerful text about um, basically the edge of the days of the judges, um, when Israel is just um, a mess, and um, and here you have uh, this the calling of the boy Samuel. Yeah, and so the book of Samuel, so I felt like it was poorly named. It should really be called, like, the history of King David. Yeah. But it's called Samuel because for the first few chapters, Samuel the prophet is kind of involved here. And uh, here is the calling of Samuel. Eli is the priest, and Eli is sort of like, he reminds me of the king in The Princess Bride. He's, like, well-meaning but kind of ineffectual. He's had some, uh, Eli's had some sons that kind of mess things up. And yeah. He's just, I mean, he, he loves the Lord, but he's not the strongest leader. Anyways, Eli's the priest. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, has dropped him off at the temple and never came back to pick him up. It was a deal she had with the Lord. And so Samuel is raised in the temple. And, uh, and we get a, a statement right at the beginning of this passage. So Samuel's grown up at the temple. He's grown up as kind of an apprentice in ministry. 
and uh, he he's basically an acolyte, like a fancy mm-hmm. acolyte mm-hmm. in the temple or the tabernacle. Uh, I should correct. There is no temple. Don't email me. Uh, and um, it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not wide, widespread, so it's a time of kind of spiritual dryness. silence, yeah, dryness. Yes, yeah, and uh, <clears throat> so. Uh, but I love that next line. It says, you know, and at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, could not see. But the lamp of God had not yet gone out, you know. And, uh, mm. you know, it's like one of those powerful themes that even though there's spiritual dryness, that, you know, a, a, a smoldering wick he will not extinguish That's is right. still there. Like God is, God is faithful despite all of these people's unfaithfulness. And uh, that's absolutely right. Yeah, and so we're getting these passages, by the way, as we move through the season of Epiphany, that are going to jump around a lot. This week it's First Samuel, then it's going to be Jonah, then it's going to be Deuteronomy, then it's going to be Malachi. <clears throat> it's just going to be just kind of confusing, or I don't know, jumping around the Old Testament. So just if you preach on this passage, make sure you do some of the context, because they didn't. the week before was Genesis 1. So they're not getting any... Uh, they don't know the the history here. The fact that Israel is in this time of judges, as Jake said, that they don't have any king, that they um, they are living in the land. They've kicked out the Philistines, but didn't quite do the thorough job. They've had these judges, which has been very up and down. It's sort of a um, I almost feel like this is kind of the teenage years of Israel. Like they've come out of Egypt, they're in the land, but they haven't fully kind of asserted their you know, independence and maturity or whatever. And so, the, the, you know, we always think of Israel and King Saul and King David. This is before all that. And so, uh, and we get this story of the calling of Samuel. And this is used often in a lot of, um, this is kind of typical in ordination services uh, or like kind of commissioning for ministry because God calls Samuel and appoints him to a role, and it sort of begins with Samuel, this boy, this acolyte, sleeping near the tabernacle and hearing the word of God and not recognizing it, hearing the word of God calling him to a ministry. Uh, He lies down and he hears Samuel just calling his name, and Samuel thinks it's Eli, his boss, the priest, and so he goes a couple times, and finally Eli says, and this this is the the big kind of message here where Eli gives Samuel kind of the password. Like, you know, when there's like a, a secret phrase, you're supposed to say like the eagle rises at dawn and then the person is supposed to say, and the badger digs at midnight. And now, you know, like you've, you've like successfully said the password at checkpoint Charlie or whatever. Like that's kind of what happens here. Like when God says your name, you're supposed to say, speak Lord for your servant listens. Mm. Uh, or in this translation, speak Lord for your servant is listening. So Eli gives Samuel the password. Samuel goes down, lays down, hears God call again, and then says the thing, speak, your servant is listening. And then God tells Samuel what's going to happen. Um, that, uh, that yeah. well, e- Eli's house is in trouble. E- as I said, not a great, not effective ruler. Um, Eli's going to have some problems in his family. But, uh, um, there's kind of a word that, that God is going to do something through Samuel. And so um, in terms of preaching, uh, there's kind of a, a word here about listening to God, being open to what God's saying, also God's voice coming at an unexpected time to an unexpected person, meaning Samuel. Yeah. What, what what would you say about this, Jake? Yeah, well, the, a couple of things. Uh, I love, you know, so 
Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Uh, so this is something very powerful in the sense that, like the the, the word of the Lord, the gospel, uh, this this when God's, it's not something we discover. Uh, this is something that God reveals. You know, He and He reveals it to us today. Uh, he did in those days through prophets, and now He illumines his, uh, that word to us today through the preaching and uh, through the sacraments. And so, and this is always revealed. The other thing, and it always threw me off for a long time. It it really it really um, it really kind of terrified me actually, um, and I never knew what to do with this passage where he's like, um, "For I have told him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity because his sons were blaspheming," and uh, you yeah. know, and uh, and it says, um, you know, therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Forever. And, um, <laughs> And indeed, it cannot be by Eli's sons. It cannot be by Eli himself. Um, this is, um, it has to be exp- expiated by another, and neither can yours. You know what I mean? I mean, that when you preach the law in this text, it's you're in the same boat as Eli's house on your own. And, uh, and this is a very powerful thing. So Samuel isn't just some random, I mean, he is a glorified acolyte, but he's also become a son to Eli as well. And yep. so, you know, and so in Eli's like, tell me the vision, my son. You know what I mean? And here you see Samuel functioning as a good son um, and giving, telling him what's up. And uh, this points to a good son as well who is to come, who tells us exactly what's up as well. And that yep. is that our works are like filthy rags before the Lord, um, that uh, apart from that good son, we are in the same boat as Eli. And so we need a sacrifice apart from ourselves. You know what I mean? Uh, we need the sacrifice of Jesus, the one whom, uh, the greater son of the one whom Samuel would ultimately anoint. Yeah, I, and I think, you know, there's, there's this other thing here too of constantly throughout Scripture— I'm thinking of that verse that's in Isaiah that we would have heard at your lessons in carol service or a lot of Christmas services, and a little child shall lead them. And that's obviously pointing to the birth of the Messiah, but it's also pointing to a theme that's throughout Scripture where you have children talking to uh, their elders or being kind of spiritual leaders. You see that in, Mm. I mean, when Jesus is in the temple at age 12, you see that with King David, who's chosen as a shepherd boy to be king over Israel. Uh, That's great. You see that here with Samuel, who is called to speak a pretty hard word of judgment on God's behalf to Eli the priest, who is his boss and his surrogate father. So... The idea of a child coming to speak truth into your life um, is something that you see over and over in Scripture. It's something you see in your life. I mean, not you necessarily, Jake, but in, in one's <laughs> life. Uh, I mean, maybe your kids are like, you know, t- calling you out or something. But it is true. Yeah, yeah that does, it does happen. Yeah, and, there, you know, I think we sort of laughed at it when I was a kid, but in the 80s there was that commercial where the dad finds the kid's drugs, and he's like, where did you get this? Who taught you to do this? And the kid says, I learned it from watching you, Dad. So that's mm. a child sort of speaking truth to an authority figure, to a powerful figure above yeah. him. Uh, and there's something about God using children to speak into your life. So I think you could make a, you could make a sermon point about that, but, um, but I think ultimately the child that we really want to look to, especially in this season of Epiphany, 
is the Christ child. Again, he's no longer a baby. He's now a little bit older. He's Christ the toddler. But anyways, the Christ child, Jesus Christ, coming to speak a word of truth, as Jake said. And it is a word of what is actually going on. Yes, there's a word of judgment in that because we are people who've fallen short of the glory of God. But then that Christ child speaks to us a word of grace um, because as we read in 1 John in the past few weeks, uh, the law came from Moses, but grace and truth comes from Jesus Christ. And that's what we will see in that child who speaks to us. So that's what I would preach on at this passage. But there is a lot of context you kind of have to explain to people and a little bit of an allegorical or meta, kind of a, a typological reading here. Yeah. And then we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. And, um, you know, this is, uh, so once again, you have to kind of set the context because we moved from like, um, real, Acts. Yeah, well, we've moved from theology in, in the letter to the Corinthians to like kind of um, uh, practicality on uh, mm-hmm. one level and, uh, and kind of the whole thing that um, Paul is now, like, this church is a big old mess and, um, and uh, you know, he's just been talking about lawsuits and all of these things. People are suing each other and now people are like, what's going on? And, um, and really, Acts chapter, this, this particular, or Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, needs to be read in light of um, the previous verse, uh, which is um, uh, verse 11. And it says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the, by the Spirit of our God. You know, and what we're about to see here in the rest of six and into seven next week is that uh, the struggle is real as we await the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. But to have that knowledge that you have been uh, washed, you've been sanctified, past tense, you've been justified, past tense, uh, by uh, our Lord Jesus Christ uh, really becomes to, begins to become the lens by which we live our lives. And uh, that is um, living our lives for the sake of those around us. Not to make the baby Jesus happy, but because the baby Jesus is well pleased with us already. Yeah, so this passage, and by the way, preachers, this Sunday, the second Sunday after the Epiphany, you will have now, this is the first reading from the Corinthian correspondence of St. Paul to these churches in Corinth. <laughs> and you're, we're going to be in First and Second Corinthians for several weeks, so if you... Uh, want to do a sermon series on perfect. the Corinthian perfect. correspondence. Per- yeah, it's the perfect time to do it. Uh, it's going to jump around a little bit, but if so, if you want to do that, you would begin today with kind of a little bit of background on Corinth, uh, what a wealthy city it was, what a cosmopolitan city it was, what a pagan city it was, but also just lots of Jews, lots of pagans, Greeks and Romans, all kinds of stuff in Corinth and the, sh- in the shipping. And, and they were there. they were really religious. They were just like us today. Really, really religious. They were into, um, you know, they were into love. They were into a wisdom. They were into prosperity and health. Crystals. So, um, you know, um, but all of these things also that dominate the church. Yep. You know, uh, the way of love, the, um, you know, health and wealth, prosperity gospel. Um, but it was all becoming a profound abstraction. And so Paul, you'll find Paul in the Corinthian correspondence, uh, continually rooting it in this idea that you have been atoned for, you've been justified. And so this flows out of this idea. And, you know, it's also a a series of letters, and we don't have all of them, we just have the two that are in the scriptures, but there was real conflict there. There was a real vibrant spiritual community that grew and was real and it took root, but also because it was a mix of all these other religions that previously had been what these people lived in or philosophies, uh, 
there was a lot of Christian teaching that Paul had to do and continue to do via these letters after he left. And so you see that happening here. So 1 Corinthians 6, 12 and on, what we have today begins with Paul quoting back to the Corinthians their excuses yes. for their naughty behavior. So the Corinthians are basically, uh, you know, they're like, I mean, they love Jesus but they also kind of want to party a little bit. And they're explaining... Uh, <laughs> That'd be a great t-shirt. Yeah. I love Jesus, but I want to party a little well, bit. Well, it's like that lady that said on Ellen a long time ago, before people all hated and canceled Ellen, where she was like, I'd love Jesus, but I'd drink a little. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, And so these people are saying, they're kind of, they're like saying, based on the grace of God and Jesus Christ and the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the freedom we have. That he, so they would say to Paul, Paul, all things are lawful for me. And Paul says now in this letter to them, yes, but not all things are beneficial. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. Yes, you don't sin by putting your finger into a pencil sharpener, but it's not going to be the best day of your life. Uh, All things are lawful for me, they say. And he says, yes, but I will not be dominated by anything. So just because you can do it, if it becomes something that is the master over you, then it is... uh, it's in control, and, and you've lost some of your Christian freedom. Freedom. And then there's this other proverb they quote in verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach is food. And they were using it as a justification for kind of orgies or some sort of... I mean, and, and you know, that's... You have to live in a specific part of Florida to have experience with that today. But in those <laughs> days, it was very common uh, in religious rites... Um, in kind of the both in the Greco-Roman pantheon as well as some of these other kind of more niche religions of those mm-hmm. days. Um, also, there was a ton of religious prostitution. All kinds of stuff went on back then. Huge imbalance of power between men and women, and young and old, and all that sort of stuff. And they would use, they would sexually exploit a lot of people. So there's they came from a very permissive culture, and so they're saying, look. I'm, uh, food is made for the stomach and stomach is for, for, is for food. So like my, my body is for sex. Like this part of me wants to have sex. So I should just do it. Cause that's what it's meant for. And, and, and Paul says, yeah, God's going to destroy both. Like, uh, and, and says, look, the, the body is not meant for fornication. That's how we know. That's what they were using. This is an excuse for, but for the Lord. So, and the Lord for the body. So he's basically like saying your vision needs to be a little bit higher. Um, that's right. anyways, it so. Needs- it, it needs to be higher and it needs to be for the sake of your neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, so oftentimes how this is like preached is don't do this or you'll make the baby Jesus sad. You know what I mean? Don't do this or you'll make the baby Jesus upset. You'll make God really upset. You know what I mean? And really the way this needs to be understood is in, in light of that previous verse. And what Paul is getting at here is like, yeah, all things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want. You know, as Luther said, I am a slave uh, I am a slave to no one, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I'm a slave to everyone. This flips the perspective and makes it for the sake of your neighbor. As John Calvin said, too, he was like, to the Pharisee, I will never surrender my liberty. But to the new Christian, uh, well, I will care for them. You see, but this isn't about like making God happy. This is about this for your sake and for your neighbor. I once uh, heard a pastor uh, talk about this particular situation um, that kind of related to the to, to the Corinthian correspondence. Um, um, he had a guy in his parish who, um, well, was um, 
having a, you know, was, was, had, was having a relations with another person in the parish. Um, however, this particular person was a starving artist and, um, you know, and was, uh, and then had moved on to another parishioner, very handsome person, this guy was. And, uh, you know, and so the pastor called him aside and the guy was like, the guy who was engaged in these, uh, this behavior was like, hey, I thought you were a grace person. And he was like, I am a grace person. I'm not talking about your relationship with Jesus. Uh, what I'm talking about is your relationship with these ladies. And, you know, the truth is, is that uh, this is wreaking havoc on these ladies. And so, you know, this is why you shun fornication, because you have been united to the Lord. You have been united to something greater than yourself for the sake of those around you. And uh, this is really uh, what we are talking about. As he says here at the end, for you were brought, bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Um, AKA use it for the use it for the sake of something that's beneficial. Yeah, and so uh, it it takes ethics away from like uh, this is bad, so don't do it. Yes. Uh, don't be naughty, which is not a very compelling reason. But he's pointing <laughs> out the fact that well, he's, he's, he makes a couple things. One, like he says, is you gotta keep in mind how your actions are impacting your neighbors. Um, but also, he makes this really radical, metaphysical, supernatural mm, claim, which is it. the basis for so much Christian teaching. But or so it's it's a huge part of the Christian understanding of the world, but not sadly the part of many Christians' understanding of sex, even though it's taught in the Bible that this is this is how we think about sex as Christians. There's a big thing now about being sex positive or sex negative, and understand that. And that's people reacting against a lot of the shame in our culture, which comes from that, like, don't make the baby Jesus sad kind of teaching. Yeah. So it kind of swings the whole other way to say, you know, basically everything is fine. As this First Corinthians said, again, nothing new is under the sun. All things are lawful for me, you know, that reacting against stuff. But what he says is, um, as a Christian, your body is part of Christ. And if you're having, at least in this case, it sounds like sex with a temple prostitute, he says you're taking the members of Christ and making them members of a prostitute. Sort of graphic language about the sexual mm -hmm. act, but basically he's saying um, in, in a Christian understanding of sex, it's not just bodies. We are spiritual beings, soul, body, mind, all of it is one thing, but we are spiritual beings. And sex is not just two bodies. It's not like that old terrible song, uh, let's it's that thing about like this is I lived in Central Asia for a while and all music was like kind of house dance music and there was that one about let's do it like they do it on the Discovery Channel don't you know you and me baby are nothing but mammals uh, so we'll do oh, it like they do yeah, it on Discovery Channel I lived in Europe too and that song yeah. hit yeah <laughs> so uh, and that's what a lot of people think it's just bodies we're just made to do this and it's fine and it's just you know at 2 a.m. the you know, you up, text, like it's just, we all have needs. and Or the country version, it's 1 a.m., I'm a little drunk, I'm feeling kind of lonely. Uh, yeah. Was that Lady Annabelle? Anyways, all that stuff, um, Lady A but, now. And, and as, we, as we know, that's all BS. Right, I mean, because people are people, and, and they look, feel look so at how hurt. Many, and look at how many people have been put on the, um, the cancel culture list as a result of, I mean, some of them are, are beasts, you know what I mean, like Harvey Weinstein. But if you, I mean, just kind of misread some cues and were put on the cancel culture list because this actually matters. It is true. And if you have sex with somebody, it is not just your bodies. It will affect somebody deeply, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. 
And this is what Paul is saying, is you can't just pretend that that prostitute is, or that person is just a nothing person for you to use. You're a part of Christ. They are a human being. You're united Made in, in his image. Yeah, so basically, that's, that's why Christians care about sex. And this was a radical idea. And by the way, it was a very, um, it, you know, in our day, you might call it like a liberal idea in that it was like, what do you mean? Prostitutes have value as people too? Yeah. Like, um, this was definitely going against the status quo. It was giving value to every human being, even the ones who were at the bottom of society. Um, this was not some puritanical, like, sex is fun, so don't have it sort of thing. This was like, this is, it's it's hurting you. It's hurting another person who's made in God's image. Um, and he says that, you know, it's his radical view of the holiness and of people and bodies and all that. The sacredness of the yes. human, yeah. yeah. So anyway, but uh, so I don't so, know if you want to preach on that. But well, hey, I mean, the, the main, if you want to, if you want to, just emphasize verse eleven and have that be um, make this a verse eleven sandwich. Begin with verse eleven and end with verse eleven. Mm. Uh, that you have been, um, you know, sanctified and justified. Uh, you've been washed, sanctified, and justified in Christ Jesus. And, yeah. um, and then renew your baptismal covenant. There you so, go. So then we come to John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. And this is the end of this very, very powerful, powerful chapter. Um, uh, kind of one of the crown jewels of the scriptures, if you will, this chapter. And this is Jesus calling his uh, disciples. Uh, first couple of ones. Uh, you got Philip. And then you have um, uh, Nathaniel here. And so, uh, but this is a very, very powerful chapter. Um. By the way, I just had one more thought about the sex passage. Okay, uh, go for it. Sorry. And that is just that everybody in you the... You know, I have, I have lots of thoughts on sex. And so, <laughs> know. Uh, you know, there's always room for one more. So throw it in there, Andy. Well, I just, I feel like the title of this episode is going to be from the Salt and Peppa song, Let's Talk About Sex. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so let's do it. I, I will say that I admire both Paul for his courage in writing this, the lectionary committee people for choosing to include it in the readings. Um, I don't know if they buried it in Epiphany because they think people don't come to church after Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? But, I mean, kudos to them for putting it in there. I will say, the the only reason I would say to preach on this, if you do, is because every single person in the congregation is thinking about sex all the time. Uh, that's maybe a slight exaggeration. There, but, is a corn, uh, there is a corn song about that. All yeah. day, Adidas. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So corn with the backwards R, don't forget. Uh, but and the, a K. And a K. The the um, Freud said everything is about sex, and he may have overstated it a little bit. But to, yeah. but he's not he's not sort of that far off base. Uh, Alec Baldwin character Jack Donaghy on uh, Thirty Rock says this to the Catholic priest when he goes in to confess. I think it's like Valentine's Day Mass, and his girlfriend makes him go to Mass. He hasn't been in thirty years or something, but he has to go to confession. And the priest says, why are you here? And he says, like, why do, why are there skyscrapers? Why do people go to the moon? Why do people do anything? Because I want to get laid. And I'm not trying to be vulgar here, but like, that is a driving force. The urge to be with someone physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually with another person. It's, it's definitely something on a lot of people's mind. It's something that the world is absolutely talking about all the time. So many podcasts out there about sex. Uh, and here... The Bible talks about it, and in a very beautiful and countercultural, powerful, radical way. So, I mean, who knows? It's coronavirus time. Nobody's uh, 
doing anything that's normal, uh, people are struggling. So if you want to talk about sex, just know that I give you my seal of approval to go ahead and do that. Uh, but also, again, realize that everybody you're speaking to has been wounded and is broken in this area in some way, and that you, you, if if you go ahead and teach kind of on this passage a, a proper Christian understanding of what the body is and how God enters into that whole situation, um, just make sure you, as Jake emphasized, like you root it in grace and know that um, every single person is uh, a sinner in need of grace, whether they have never had sex, whether they've had lots of sex that they now regret, whether whatever whatever's going on with them, everybody, none of it's a surprise to God. He made our bodies, and he. Um, and so anyway, that's the that's the last PSA on on this uh, topic. Unless you want yeah. to add anything, Jake, to my addition. No, I would say just um, yeah. No, that's great. I would say if you ever have to deal with um, a pastoral situation in regards to sex, you know, someone comes in and wants to talk to you about it, um, whatever's going on. Um, to you need to as a pastor you can't be shocked by that stuff either so when someone comes in for a confession for some real crazy stuff um, you can't ever be shocked by it you've got to like I mean you can be shocked later when the door closes but um, you know keep your poker face on and uh, because they are coming to you and uh, especially when it's about sex because I think sex like you said Freud said um, it's all about sex but ultimately it's about death and uh, sex is a kind of uh, a grasp at the straws sometimes, especially when it's taken so flippantly as in our culture, is a desperation to one, deny death, and then two, um, just a cry that I don't want to die alone. And uh, that's what you're going to be hearing when you meet with people who have uh, dealt and dabbled in all sorts of uh, um, sexual craziness. And I, I've heard it in New York City. And um, and uh, what they need, especially in those moments, because sex is connected to a deep wound, uh, they need grace and the blood of Jesus to cover that, and you are the instrument uh, by which God is going to use to do that. Yeah. So, on so to don't John. say you did what? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, all really? Right. That's all? So anyway. Um, <laughs> okay, John, what? Uh, so this is a very powerful, powerful passage, and uh, this relates to the Epiphany because this really illustrates kind of how the Epiphany is shared. It's shared word of mouth. You know, uh, and so you have um, uh, you have Philip being called, and then Philip goes and gets Andrew, and uh, and Peter, and then Nathaniel, and uh, you know, and who did they find? Well, we have found him about whom Moses and the law, and also the prophets wrote about Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And I think you see a couple of things. First of all, you know, here the Nazareth principle at work, as our uh, mentor Paul Zoll taught us. Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can, can God work in the weirdest places of your life, the most unfaithful places of your life, the places where you've had some dark sex, or the places where you didn't have sex, you know what I mean? Is God working in that place? He indeed is. As Philip says, come and see. And uh, there is this, just this powerful engagement between Jesus and Nathanael. Um, and Jesus says, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Uh, this is kind of a joke and a reference back to uh, Genesis 28 and uh, the story of Jacob. And you can do the background search on that. But uh, 
um, you know, uh, uh, Nathaniel's like, where did you get to know me? And he says, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, this is very important, and I didn't know, understand what this was for a long time until I read Augustine. And in Augustine's commentary on John, and this is confirmed in a few rabbis, but it, Adam and Eve ate the fig tree, ate from a fig tree. And in some like rabbinic teachings, and Augustine said, you know, since then the world has basically been under the fig tree, a.k.a. we've been under sin, held captive by sin. And so, um, and, uh, and uh, Nathaniel recognizes that, and so he calls him the rabbi, the king of Israel. And I love what Jesus says to him here. This is very powerful, and this is a preaching moment. Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. Um, AKA, you're going to see all of my miracles because we're at the beginning of this. I'm going to raise people from the dead. I'm going to feed people. I'm going to do all this. I myself am going to raise from the dead and ascend into heaven. You will see that. And he says, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And the last time that happened with Jacob, um, um, that happened, God actually struck Jacob and he walked with a limp from that moment on. Uh, but this time, um, God is going to come down and strike his son instead. And we will see the greater miracle, our deliverance from the fig tree. And uh, that's exactly how I would probably preach on this text. Yeah, well, there you have it. And the other thing, you know, if you want to talk about a couple other things to say here is just how, again, and we've you and I emphasize this a lot, Jake, how, how historically and um, geographically and chronologically rooted the biblical stories are, mm -hmm. uh, particularly here in the New Testament, where it when it says something like Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth, that's just such an incredible statement. If we take our kind of Bible ears off and put it, for example, in a context today, this is like saying we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Steve, son of Bill from Plano. <laughs> like yeah. uh, Nazareth uh, sounds like a classic rock band, but also an ancient biblical city. You can actually still go to Nazareth. Uh, Been there. It's, it's great. A, Yep, thriving town. There is and... a, there's an amazing, if you go there, just right up the road from the Roman Catholic Basilica is, um, well, one, there's, um, there's a, a wonderful Anglican church there, um, but also right up the road there is a three-star Michelin restaurant that is just delicious that specializes in North African Jewish food. Hey, uh, we don't just do the Bible, people. We also do obscure <laughs> restaurant uh, recommendations. So, uh, yeah, this is Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth, is a ridiculous phrase. I mean, it's, yep. it sounds churchy and Bible-y to us, but to those ears to say, Moses is talking about a guy who's from Gastonia, North Carolina. Like, yeah. that's sort of what it sounds like, which is why Nathaniel's like, what? Can anything good come out of Gastonia? No offense to anybody who lives in Gastonia. I grew up near there. I was trying to just pick a small town near where I'm from. Uh, so, anyways, uh, this this is uh, rooted in human history and in real places. And it's, again, the, the reason the Nazareth principle works is because this is basically saying God chose an out-of-the-way, forgotten place in the world to begin his saving of the world. And so all the out-of-the-way forgotten places in your life that you'd rather bury and never remember, um, uh, you can uh, 
you can know that God is working in those places too. I've been thinking a lot about Hilaria Baldwin, and mm. I don't want to throw any shade on her or her experience. I've known plenty of people, because the, the reason she's in the news now is because she was born to a family that was from Massachusetts, and her name was Hillary, uh, but she also had some connection to Spain, and she spent a lot of her childhood there. She's not genetically, as far as I understand, like descended from Spanish people, but anyways... Uh, but she has often kind of presented herself, or at least people have come away with the idea, whether she intended to or not, that she had sort of Spanish roots and was ethnically Spanish. <clears throat> but it, that wasn't quite the whole story. And I'm not picking on Hilaria. It's a, just a current example of something that is very common, and we could find many, many examples of people that are pretending they are someone that they're not. If you want, if you watched The Prom, the movie which has just come out on Netflix, but it was uh, big on Broadway and won lots of Tonys, um, it's about these kind of Broadway stars in New York who want to pretend like they're very sophisticated Broadway stars. The movie version has Meryl Streep in it. And, you know, turns out she's also from like a working class, poor family in a small town. So all these, most people are hiding the fact that they are actually from Nazareth. And everybody yeah. wants to pretend like they they were born on the Upper West Side when in That's actuality right. they're from Gowanus or, or That's right. whatever. Uh, people want to pretend that that's, this, is, this is why debutante balls exist. It is for people who three generations ago were sharecroppers can now pretend that they are something in the world because now that's they can right. afford to buy a really fancy dress and drink a lot of alcohol for three days straight. So... Um, the, everybody is from Nazareth. Everybody's pretending they're not, but the, but Christianity gives us permission to admit that God can work even in those places in your life, um, and can work anywhere. The other thing, finally, the last thing I would say is just that the the interaction with Jesus and Nathaniel proves uh, that Jesus knows you. Jesus knows you before you know him, and yep. he he knows everything about you, and he can see straight to your core, and he is not horrified. Just, Jake, as you said earlier, when people open up to you as a pastor, do not be horrified, do not be shocked, keep your poker face. Jesus sees deep down to your core and is not shocked and horrified. He knows who you are, and he responds with love. Even in this case, he knows Nathaniel to his core and calls him into ministry. So Amen. those are the only other things I would point out. Yeah, and uh, you know... If he can call Nathaniel into ministry, and he can call you and I into ministry, he most certainly can call you, dear listener, into ministry as well. may not be the ordained ministry, but it's a ministry nonetheless for the sake of your neighbor. So, ooh, uh, ooh. Sorry. I'm, I'm all with the last-minute thoughts here, Jake, and I know. I know this episode is already too long. So, listener, I hope you listen to it at one-and-a-half speed on this one or something, or the double speed. We're going to have to like break this into... Um, a and B. Part one, part two. <laughs> so the the other only final thing I would say is this passage is uh, wonderfully seen as an example of evangelism, yeah. where you oh, meet Jesus. That. Yeah, you said that, but I'm say, what some. <laughs> but I would say the only thing about this is if you preach this, I would encourage you maybe to go soft, preachers, on saying, "Hey, everybody, go be like um, like Philip." Mm-hmm. Now that, you know, if the Spirit is pushing you to say that, then say it. But the only, my only reason I caution you about it is because most, if you want to turn your congregation into a bunch of Phillips who go tell their friends about Jesus, the way you do that is not tell them to go be Philip. The way you do that is you help them meet Jesus. Amen. So help, help them meet Jesus in this passage for themselves, that he sees them, knows them, sees their Nazareths, and forgives them. Have them meet Jesus, and the and they will become 
Phillips. They, yeah. they, if they are loved, if they know they're loved, they'll do it. If you tell them to just go be a Philip, they're probably not going to work out, work so well. That's all I had on. Well, that. that's great. I think our last episode was probably like twenty minutes, so I think we've evened out. So uh, good there job, go. Aaron. And um, that's, that's all part of my plan. Uh, so. Everybody, we'll talk a little bit more about sex as we uh, move into next week, but uh, maybe not. But uh, until then, happy preaching. Hasta la bye-bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside ready to rock and roll.